Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. I'm starting a new series called Jesus Changes Everything. In the mid-1980s, some of you will remember this, there was a colossal marketing mistake that was made by the Coca-Cola company. After well over 100 years of having the number one selling beverage in the world, Coke decided, let's change our recipe. So for those of you under the age of 35 or so, uh, you'll notice that there's something called Coke Classic. And the reason there's Coke Classic is because back in the day, in the mid-80s, on your left, you'll see New Coke. How many remember this? Have you got some people remember this? Guys, this was not a good thing at all. Americans went nuts because they missed the old flavor, something that they thought would always be with them, something they thought would never go away, suddenly disappeared, and either it was a colossal mistake or a stroke of genius, however you want to look at that. So nowadays we have Coke Classic. You know, a lot of times things that have always been with us, we get too familiar with, and, and we, we don't see the brilliance and something that's with us all the time. During this series, Jesus Changes Everything, I want us to take a step back and look at Jesus, not just for personal application, because we're kind of trained in the church to think of Jesus and how Jesus changes me personally. And that certainly is where salvation starts. But I want us to see how Jesus impacted all of humanity, Beyond even salvation, how Jesus impacted our culture today. And by doing this, it's going to cause you to worship him even more. It's going to cause your personal relationship to even be stronger. I'm basing this series loosely off a book, a wonderful book you'd want to read. It's called, Who is This Man? by John Ortberg. The Unpredictable Impact of the Inescapable Jesus. We're not following this rotely, but this book is certainly inspired the message, the messages you're going to hear. And today's message is Jesus calls out hypocrisy. Jesus calls out hypocrisy. Studies and researchers have, have talked to a younger generation, those who are roughly 35 and under now, which unfortunately their church attendance is very low. And of the different reasons why they don't attend church, one of the strongest factors is this. Young people, young Americans, equate Christianity with hypocrisy. They, they seem to think that Christians are hypocrites. Now, this is a little bit of an unfair assessment because there are two billion Christians. Two billion Christians, at least people who claim to be Christians. Now, if you have two billion of anything... You're going to have some hypocrites. You're going to have some people who don't authentically follow the core teachings of Jesus. Just the mass, just the size. Uh, that This argument is irrefutable. And there's no doubt there are many, many hypocrites who claim to follow Christ. But that does not, that does not change the truth of the message. Just because some don't apply Christ's message in an authentic, real way doesn't dilute or doesn't take away the power of the messenger. Just because Christ's followers, some of them, don't live up to Christ's ideals, it doesn't change the power of who Jesus is. And here's what I want you to take away today, is that Jesus 
is the first person, the first leader to actually come up with the term hypocrite. If, if there's any word or term that's closely associated with Jesus, it's that term hypocrite. Because Jesus used that word to call out the religion of the day. Now, the religion of Jesus' day, most every religion based on the temple, was all about, I'm talking about Greek religion, Egyptian religion, it was all about appeasing the gods. So it was people would go into temples, not, not Jewish temples, but other temples around the Mediterranean. And they would try to appease the gods and try to trick the gods and try to cover up their sins. And this mindset seeped in to the Jewish faith also. This idea of masking, the idea of hiding. And Jesus brought an authentic faith. A faith that said, we're going to look beyond actions. And we're going to look at the heart. Now this comes up a lot because around here we teach the Gospels a whole lot. We're going through the book of Mark. And you can't really understand the Gospels unless you understand the core of Jesus' message. And it's this. That it's not just your actions that matter. They do matter. It's not just your morality that matters. They matter. But it's the intention behind the action. It's not just what happens on the outside. It's the motivation on the inside. And that is his call, calling out hypocrisy. And I'm telling you, Matthew 23 is an amazing chapter. I'm only going to spend this one week on Matthew 23, but... I may have to revisit it in the future because there's so much depth to the bold, confrontational part of Jesus who was not confronting, he was not confronting um, those who were outside of the religion. He was confronting the most religious people of his day. Jesus was not condemning to those who were completely lost and those who had no understanding of the faith or even to the Gentile people. Jesus was harsh to the religious who did not think they needed God. He was harsh to the religious who thought they had it all figured out. Let's talk about the word hypocrite. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on our introduction before we jump into the scripture. So don't get nervous on me. You know me, I, I have a pretty defined time that I preach. So, so we're all good. The term hypocrite uh, comes from a theater term. A hypocrite was this. It was in acting, in Greek acting. It was someone who would switch parts. So in Act 1, an actor may be, he may be a thief. He may be the, the one, the protagonist, the one who is stealing. But then Act 2 would come and the same actor would put on a mask and that actor now would become the king or become a positive role. Now, Jesus... We don't know his exposure to, um, to the theater, but we know this is that about an hour's walk from Nazareth uh, was one of the leading cities of the day for theater. So it's, it's possible that Joseph and Jesus uh, did carpentry work on one of the theaters in this nearby city. We don't know that for sure. But however he was exposed to it. I mean, he was God, in fact, so he knew everything. But Jesus knew about this role of a hypocrite. It wasn't, it, at that time, it wasn't the demeaning word that it is to us today. It, it was a descriptive word. Uh, an actor who 
would act a certain way, then put on a mask and totally change personalities. And that is what Jesus called the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And we hear the word Pharisees today. We have a negative connotation to that because we don't want to be Pharisees. But they were the most admired men when Jesus was alive. They were at the seat of authority, the seat of religion. They were looked up to. They were esteemed. And Jesus confronted them and introduced this new term called hypocrite. In fact, the word hypocrite is used 17 times in the Bible. And Jesus used them every time. Jesus introduced this concept to the world's religious culture. Before he came along, everyone thought that it was okay to be fake. It was okay to try to appease the gods. But Jesus knew a God and he was the God with a very distinct personality who looked for spirit and truth and authenticity. And he wanted not just people's actions. He wanted their motives to be right too. That's who he was. And that's what Jesus provides. So now, let's go to Matthew 23. And we'll start with verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and said to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greeting in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by the people. Let's talk about a couple of these verses. If we go back to verse 2, we see the chair of Moses. The chair of Moses. This is, this is in, in verse 2. Uh, this is the seat of judgment. The Pharisees of the day, they were the ones to a widely illiterate people. Would say, this is the way you apply God's law. This is the rules you have. People didn't have access to the scriptures like we have today to investigate on our own and to feed ourselves. They were totally dependent upon the religious leaders. And so Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, these guys are in the chair of Moses. They're they're the ones that are making judgments on you. But going on to verse 3, he says this, Do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do. What a statement calling out inauthentic leaders. They don't practice what they teach. This was revolutionary. I mean, now, nowadays, this is expected behavior. Nowadays, you and I expect someone who leads or speaks, whether it's religiously or politically or in education, uh, to live out the values they're espousing. But Jesus was bringing something new to culture, something that has affected all people since that time. To understand this verse a little bit more, go to verse 4. They tie up uh, heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger. Verse 4, they do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries. 
what this was, this you can find in numbers, information about this. Uh, these were long tassels that had the scriptures on them. And, you know, it wasn't even wrong to wear those because most likely Jesus wore those. In Matthew 9, uh, we see the story of the woman who wanted healing and she reached out to grab Jesus' tassel. And it very well was one of these uh, one of these tassels or one of these religious observations. The problem was this, is that Pharisees had gone from observing what God wanted them to do by wearing the scriptures and wearing the tassels and, and doing what God called them to do back in the Torah or back in Numbers to making it a competition. Whose tassel was the longest? Whose was the thickest? Whose was the most impressive? And they had lost the heart of the gospel. And then verse 6, they, they loved the place of honor at banquets. And they loved the front seats in the synagogues. And they loved to be greeted by everyone. So here's the deal. You have to understand that Jesus confronted the very people everyone else was trying to impress. Now here's the problem we have today. So many people are... Against Christianity because of the, quote, hypocrisy in Christianity. So many people uh, don't want to participate in organized religion because uh, Christians are just full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. If that is you, or if you know someone who's like that, I, I want you to know that you're in really good company. Because the, the person who cried out first and loudest and was the most confrontational about hypocrisy was Jesus Christ himself. I love Ortberg's quote up here. We can read this. He says, If you are ever bothered by religious hypocrites, if you've ever wanted to post a scathing blog about how they turn your stomach, then you'll have to get in line behind Jesus. Because I do not know of any address by any enemy of religion that is more stinging in its rebuke. Jesus is the leader who is nauseated with fake religion. He doesn't tolerate. And so we see on, and for yourself this afternoon or through the week, you can read all of Matthew 23. But look with me at some of the scriptures as we, we move further. Verse 13. I mean, this is in your face. Woe to you. Look out. Scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Remember my definition of that? The actor who changed parts. The actor who changed masks. You lock up the kingdom of heaven for people you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Verse 14, we see it again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and you make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you've neglected the more important matters of the law. And this is amazing. These guys were trying to impress people so much, they took their herbs and spices, and they, tried to, they gave 10% of that just for show. Tithing is good, and we believe in that, but we don't do it for show. And we're not so legalistic about it that we'd even tithe our spices and something so small just to impress others. But yet that's what the religious leaders 
they did of that day. And Jesus was confrontational. And he called it out in them. And here's the deal. If Jesus called hypocrisy out in the Pharisees, then he's calling hypocrisy out in me. Okay? If Jesus called hypocrisy out in the Pharisees, he's calling hypocrisy out in us. And I think there's a great distinction here of what hypocrisy is and what it is not. Here's what hypocrisy is not. Something that we all do a whole lot. It's when we have a good intention and we just don't follow through with it. You know, when we think, you know, I ought to tell Sonia Perry thank you. I ought to send her a thank you note for volunteering at 4.6 once a month. That would be great. But I never get around to doing it. That doesn't make me a hypocrite. That just makes me um, not a good time manager. Okay? I need to be a person of my word, but we can, we can forget these type of things. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to take Daniel and, and Rachel you know, out for lunch sometime because they're here both services every week. Wouldn't that, you know, we ought to do that, Beth, and then we forget to do it. That doesn't make us a hypocrite, okay? So we all have intentions that we don't live up to. And I think it's wrong when we say, well, he's a hypocrite because he said this and didn't follow through. No, that's just, you know, there's, there's skills we need to develop. We need to be careful with our words. That doesn't necessarily make us a hypocrite. What makes us a hypocrite is intentional deception. When we intentionally deceive others and we intentionally deceive ourselves, and then we immaturely think we're going to be able to deceive God. Like that's even possible. Here's a way some of us are hypocrites, or can I put it this way? Here's a way that I'm a hypocrite a whole lot. We'll look at this other quote by Ortberg because he put it so well. I deceive you to get you to think I'm better than I am. I hide my secret dislike for you behind a polite smile. I pretend to help you when I'm hoping you fail. I portray myself as loving when inside I'm full of judgment and I'm full of selfishness. Wow, when we look at it that way, whom among us is not a hypocrite, right? That's why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit transforms our motivations. We're able to modify our behavior through better choices. We're, We're able to develop better habits, and those are important and necessary. But we have to have God's Spirit to change the motivation within us. And that's what Jesus was crying out to the people. You know, occasionally something happens at my house. I'll go to our cupboards or or to our uh, cabinets and I'll open up and I'll grab a coffee cup and and it's lined up with all the coffee cups, you know, ready, ready to be used. All the clean cups are right there in a row. And I'll grab that cup and I'll put it down and I'll get ready to pour the coffee. And then I'll see at the bottom dried up milk and Fruit Loops. Because what has happened, and more than likely, it's my fault that this happens. Somebody went to the dishwasher, thinking the dishes were clean, and put them to where the clean dishes were. But the dishes really weren't clean. They looked clean on the outside, but on the inside, inside they hadn't been washed. They they were just 
they were they were deceptive. The, the, the coffee cup's deceptive to me. It looks clean on the outside, but it's not clean on the inside. In the days of Jesus, the Pharisees were really concerned about their utensils, making sure everything was clean. That was so important to them. In fact, there was a saying, a very popular saying in that day that said, all utensils have an inside and an outside. In other words, all utensils, it's not good enough just to wash the outside. You better wash the inside also. This was important for worship. This was important for ceremonial meals. This was important just for everyday life. Wow, Jesus confronts this very harshly in verse 25. He says this, Woe to your scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Here we go again. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may also become clean. Here's a couple of action points that I want us to respond to this message on this message on hypocrisy and it's something you're going to have to write down. I, I didn't put it in you version. I didn't put it in our notes. But here's this. Guys, God's calling us to watch our motives. Watch our motives. And I equate our motives as the inside of our cup. And I know this is that the inside of our cup, we can, we, we can ignore it. And we can pretend like it's not dirty because nobody else sees I mean, the outside looks good. We got it together, man. We're, we're living in the suburbs. Hendersonville and Gallatin and Goodlettsville, man. We, we've got our kids in good schools. We're managing our life well. We're, we're doing the things we're supposed to do. The outside's okay. And, you know, no one's really pressing us on life issues or morality or whatever the case is. But the inside's our motivation. And Jesus calls us and says, come on, hey, let's not just be among those people who have it all together on the outside. But on the inside, man, we're not looking at the motivations, looking at the hearts. And this is a daily battle. That, that's why the spiritual life, we never arrive until we see Jesus face to face. Because even activities in which we have the right motive right now. Uh, we can have the wrong motive the next time. You know, my motive to preach this sermon right now uh, could be, and I hope it is, because I want you to get God's word. I want Jesus to be glorified. I, I, want, I, I want you to be stronger after this message. I, I want the ways of God to be declared. But next service, after I hear some compliments, which I like those, so don't refrain. You know, I'm not saying that. But I hear some compliments. Man, great sermon, man. You, you nailed it. You did good. All of a sudden, my motive between the 9 a.m. service and the 1045 service could change. I could start thinking, man, I, I want to nail it again. I, ho I hope the, the joke about the dishwasher is funny again. Oh, that, was, that was pretty good. How can I, you know, maybe I can come up with some kind of banter with Beth because that's funny too, you know. And yeah, right. Yeah, she's really laughing. Um, and, and all of a sudden, between service one and service two, my motives have changed. See, that's why the worship team, you know, we pray between first and second service because it's new people, it's new service, and we need that fresh motivation. We need to make sure that the outside's not clean 
Man, but the inside, the outside's clean, but the inside's dirty. You've probably been around environments. You've been around people who just have it all together. They seem to. Maybe you've been around church services where everything's together. Everything's professional. Everything's right. But man, something just doesn't feel right. You know, something doesn't feel right. It could be. We need to be careful not to judge this. Let's judge ourselves. But it could be in those environments or among people like that. Man, we're not discerning the Holy Spirit within them. They're clean on the outside, but not so clean on the inside. Here's the second thing I believe God wants us to do. And there's many things, but the second thing we're going to discuss. You can write this down. Watch our pride. Watch our pride. Let's look at verse 27. This is the last of the woes we'll go through today. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Guys, I've, this, I've not been reading the same verse. This is, you, you look through Matthew 23, 13, 14, 15, 23, 20, 27. Oh my goodness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but are full of dead men's bones and even impurity. Let's stay there for a second. Let me talk to you about that. Let's go back to the first scripture. Whitewashed tombs. What's that talking about? It's talking about the tomb of a poor man that was often out in a field. Not in Jerusalem, but in the field or along the roadway. And people, when they took their yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem, like Psalm 84 talked about last week. Before Passover and before the pilgrimage, People would go and they would take lime, kind of a lime mixture, and they would cover up the graves with this white powder, almost like us painting something white. And this accomplished a couple of things. First of all, it, it kept people from becoming unceremonial, unceremonially unclean. Because if the Jewish tradition, if you touch the grave, you'd be unclean for seven days. But it also made something that was full of death and the very negative thing looked better. It was more appealing to the eye. It, it dressed it up. And it sent this message. It sent this message. This tomb is full of death. It's full of stink. It's full of rotting bones. and It's full of gross things. But we're going to put this whitewash over it make it look better. Now, think about that again as we read this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's the deal, guys. Man, this sermon is so easy to point to others. It's so easy to think about others we have known, others who may know now, even other groups, either other, even other denominations or other eras of the church. When a day now that we can see the hypocrisy of Christians very clearly as time has progressed. But this is where I want God to let this message take you. It's to your own heart. Watch out for your motives. And watch out for your pride. Watch out for your carefully constructed life that defends the image 
that makes everyone think you have it together, but keeps the Holy Spirit from doing the deep work that he wants. I repeat something I said earlier because I think it's important that we understand. A lack of hypocrisy doesn't mean perfection. We all make mistakes. We, we, we fall short of the glory of God. He's called us to holiness. He's called us to purity. We fall short of his righteousness and holiness. And, but what I'm talking about is intentional deception. When we begin to live a life of self-deception, we convince ourselves that it's okay to put on a mask in front of one group and then to take off that mask and to put on another mask when we change acts. It's okay to be a spiritual leader at church, but to leave those values and Christ's values at the door when you go into your office or when you go and meet with your customers. Or to put on your spiritual mask when you're around your church friends, but when you're around other friends at your school, you'll turn around, put on a different mask and, and kind of go in and out. The greatest, the best educated, the most esteemed people when Jesus lived were the most hypocritical. So, we're, we're, we are people of success and I thank God I know a lot of you have good jobs. A lot of you have good lives, nice homes. We live, I think, in the best area possible in America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in Sumner County. I think it's a fantastic place to live. We have so many built-in advantages. Because of that, God says, watch your pride and watch your motives. Keep pure before me. And that's what weekly worship is about. Guys, we come back every week. And we're in the presence of God together. We hear the scripture. We hear the word. We're offered a chance to recenter our motives. To lay down our pride. So Jesus can be glorified. Let's stand together.